95% of the American people will agree with everything he just said. 95% of the press covering this White House will disagree. Well, that's because it's fake news. Or something. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. What's wrong with the D.C. I press? I something right. Covering this White House. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. We'll see. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, K, uh, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. The week is just starting. I'm exhausted already. We're also heard coast-to-coast coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. And, you know, I really, really do hate to laugh about this. About what? Seriously, I I really do. (laughs) But just a few minutes before airtime here, a Fox News headline popped up on my iPhone. Quote, Texas Governor Greg Abbott tests positive for COVID-19. What? That after uh, after banning mask mandates by counties in his state and by school districts in his state, preventing uh, mandates uh, to require children in schools just now starting schools children under 12 who cannot take vaccines from wearing uh, from from being required to wear face masks now greg abbott has got it he's got the covid he's got the rona and i know i shouldn't laugh but you pointed out desi doyan when yes. i said i shouldn't laugh you said it's okay to laugh yes why because it's schadenfreude <laughs> well, and it's a comeuppance of sorts for somebody who has uh, blocked basic public health measures to prevent the spread of Delta, which is killing people right now and endangering children in Texas right now. Endangering my family members in Texas right now pisses me off. So, well, yeah. But but that is not the reason why you said it was OK to laugh. Actually, that's the reason why it's not OK to laugh. You should not uh, laugh at any of those very serious things. You You said it was OK because... He, A, had uh, been vaccinated himself yes. already. 
and is showing no symptoms, so he'll be fine. He'll be okay. As, he's also taking as Doctor Desi uh, uh, sees it. He's here. also taking the monoclonal antibody treatment, mm-hmm. so he's got immediate medical intervention, which is something that is not available to a lot of Texans. Well, so. there you go. So hopefully he is okay. I guess I and would consider it a sort of comeuppance, perhaps. It is a comeuppance, definitely. But shame on you for laughing at it. You're well, a bad person yes. is what is clear yes, uh, from you. that. You're welcome. Thank you. In any <laughs> event, we'll see how that goes now. Uh, here is where I had planned to start today. This one comes, uh, you know, after uh, the, the, our previous broadcast, uh, the stuff we had to cover. I don't blame you for wanting to laugh about anything at this point. Uh, it was a dark show. Anyway, so here's where I had hoped to start today. This this comes to us via a tip from longtime Brad Blog commenter Dread is what he goes by. Uh, he's a climate and political blogger himself at blogdread.blogspot.com. A New Zealand newspaper with the complicated name the Rodney and Automatea Times, Waitamata and Kaipara Gazette, told you it was complicated, reported on Wednesday. The furnaces of the world are now burning about 2 billion tons of coal a year. When this is burned, uniting with oxygen, it adds about 7 billion tons of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere yearly. This tends to make the air a more effective blanket for the Earth and to raise its temperature. The effect may be considerable in a few centuries. Well, you think? Of course, I kid the Rodney and Automatea Times, Waitamata and Kaipara Gazette for reporting something so obvious at this point that all but the dead-end fossil fuel industry disinformed loons and wingnuts now know to be scientific fact. But, in fact, the Rodney and Automatea Times deserves credit Anyway, why? Because the Wednesday they reported that story happens to have been Wednesday, August 14, 1912. Yes, more than a century ago in their science notes and news section under the presciently accurate headline, quote, coal consumption affecting climate. That was 109 years ago, and we are still debating this crap. Yep. Actually, nobody is actually debating it, but there are still coal interests out there paying to pretend that any of this is being debated. That's what you will hear about over on Fox News when they are not worrying about their uh, Texas governor, Greg Abbott, uh, and when they are, as usual, disinforming and propagandizing you about reality on behalf of their advertisers and their funders in the fossil fuel industry. So apparently uh, this news story from 1912 went viral uh, recently on the internets and was fact-checked for authenticity by a number of outlets. As it turns out, the story clipping is actually genuine. It's uh, not to mention the science in it. According to USA Today on Friday, Friday, August 13, 2021, just to be specific, a viral image of a 1912 newspaper clipping circulating on social media claims scientists have known for more than a century 
that coal consumption can have a negative effect on climate. The image of the newspaper article shared to Facebook on August 12 by the page Historic Photographs is titled Coal Consumption Affecting Climate, and it says the coal burned in furnaces around the world is causing an effect that, quote, may be considerable in a few centuries. You think? The uh, article in question, they note, is in fact authentic and it has proven true. As today, the U.S. EPA says, quote, the burning of coal, natural gas and oil for electricity and heat is the largest single source of global greenhouse gas emissions. The text in the uh, article apparently originates from a March 1912 report in the magazine Popular Mechanics. That report was titled Remarkable Weather of 1911, the effect of the combustion of coal on the climate, what scientists predict for the future. The same phrasing was uh, was published in the New Zealand newspaper, which is the publication shown in this viral image. Prior to that, it appeared uh, elsewhere in the Braidwood Dispatch and Mining Journal, which is an Australian newspaper back in July of 1912 reports about coal burning usa today notes today and its effect on the atmosphere date back to the 1800s according to the new york times in an april 1896 paper titled quote on the influence of carbonic acid in the air upon the temperature of the ground well, no wonder nobody uh, paid attention with a title <laughs> like that. Svante Arrhenius, a Swedish scientist. Arrhenius. Suge- uh, what is it? I think it's mostly considered Arrhenius. Yeah, whatever. You don't <laughs> have to show off now. A Swedish scientist uh, suggested there was a link between carbon dioxide levels and temperature. The USA Today's fact check on this story? True. Yep. The claim uh, from 1912 that warned that uh, coal consumption could have a negative impact on climate is true based on our research. Newsweek also found in their own fact check that the article in question is authentic. The text was published in both the newspapers more than a century ago, had anticipated the climate issues related to burning coal for energy that we now see today. So well done, Rodney and Automatea Times. White Temata and Kaipara Gazette news editors and reporters in 1912. Thanks for catching that important uh, report from Popular Mechanics and our apologies that civilization took so long to see through the coal industry's smoke screen in order to notice. Even more apologies that it's fallen so deep down the memory hole, which is what I frankly fear now about the U.N., Intergovernmental Panel on Climate... Inter, did I get it right? Close. Intergovernmental, intergovernmental panel, panel on, on Climate Change. Change. See, that's almost as hard as the paper in uh, New Zealand. <laughs> that's what I fear about their alarming sixth climate assessment report from uh, just last week, compiled by some 250 scientists synthesizing some 14,000 studies over the past eight years, warning that we must take immediate action to end the use of fossil fuels to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, which is already here, they note. In their report described by the U.N. Secretary General as Code Red for Humanity, as a number of our guests on just last week's show, seems like thousands of years ago now, uh, but including climatologist Dr. Michael E. Mann, energy reporter David Roberts, uh, as they all underscored during their appearances just last week on this show. All of that 
seemingly wiped away by the weekend's news out of Afghanistan, which actually seems to have uh, somewhat wiped away the arguably as tragic, if not more so, uh, news of the deadly earthquake and now tropical storm pounding Haiti in its wake. Desi Doyen will have a bit more on all of the above, at least uh, Haiti in uh, and and uh, things like coal warming the globe for yes. centuries. That'll be coming up in today's uh, Green News Report a little bit later. And I will have some fresh news before it falls into the memory hole as well on the Dominion Voting Systems software that was stolen and copied from Mesa County, Colorado, placed onto the Internet for download during Pillow Guy Mike Lindell's so-called cyber symposium last week. Software that is right now in use in the state of California in our stupid gubernatorial recall election, which could be affected by this software release that no one other than seemingly the Brad blog is talking about. But now at least another media outlet and some elected officials are doing so as well. OK, but before we get there today, uh, speaking of memory holes, <clears throat> Uh, a, a few thoughts on the uh, still unfolding Afghanistan situation, the fall of Kabul over the weekend, and the long overdue U.S. exodus after 20 years of war there the, as, the, as the Taliban retakes iron-fisted control of that nation. Uh, California Congresswoman Barbara Lee, she has also never received enough credit for her prescient warnings. Mr. Speaker, members, I rise today really with a very heavy heart, one that is filled with sorrow for the families and the loved ones who were killed and injured this week. Only the most foolish and the most callous would not understand the grief that has really gripped our people and millions across the world. This unspeakable act on the United States has really forced me, however, to rely on my moral compass, my conscience, and my God for direction. September 11th changed the world. Our deepest fears now haunt us. However difficult this vote may be, some of us must urge the use of restraint. Our country is in a state of mourning. Some of us must say, let's step back for a moment, let's just pause just for a minute and think through the implications of our actions today so that this does not spiral out of control. Some of us must urge the use of restraint. Unfortunately, she was the only one. That could have been Democratic uh, California Congresswoman Barbara Lee yesterday, in fact, but that was her, and, and you could hear the echoes of September 11 uh, in her voice. Oh, yes. Just uh, days before. That was her on the floor of the U.S. House on September 14, 2001, arguing against the invasion of Afghanistan just three days after the 9-11 terror attacks, before the uh, fires at the pile were even close to being out. She was the only member of Congress in either the Democratic or Republican Party in either the House or the Senate to vote against that invasion. As she argued that it would mount uh, uh, that it would uh, amount to a, essentially a blank check for unending war. Well, 
Uh, just uh, so, you know, like the warnings at the uh, Rodney and Automatea Times in 1912, just so that that does not fall completely down the memory hole of history, Barbara Lee was right on September 14, 2001, and her views have only, I think, been uh, buttressed by the last, yes, by the last two decades of endless and now seemingly pointless war in Afghanistan, and vindicated as the Taliban retook the nation in in just days with the U.S. evacuation after 20 years of war there. Uh, now near its completion in advance of the 20th anniversary of 9/11 next month. She deserves far more credit than she has received over the past 20 years. I cannot imagine how difficult that vote, that sole vote, that only vote against war in both houses of Congress, the only vote, how how difficult that must have been uh, with September 11 that raw at that moment 20 years ago. But as the AP reports today in what I'm not entirely even comfortable sharing, to be frank, uh, because it feels to some extent like a press release for the uh, brutal, hard-right Islamic fundamentalist Taliban. But uh, as AP reports, the Taliban vowed on Tuesday to respect women's rights, forgive those who fought them, and ensure Afghanistan does not become a haven for terrorists as part of a publicity blitz aimed at reassuring world powers and a fearful population. A publicity blitz, I suppose, that AP is somewhat helping, and I guess uh, so am I in sharing this. Following a uh, lightning offensive across Afghanistan, they write, that saw many cities fall to the insurgents without a fight, well, it wasn't actually unoffensive in the traditional sense of the word. They essentially bought off local and then regional and then national leaders, and it wasn't really lightning at all. As Washington Post's Susanna George detailed um, on Monday or Sunday uh, how this process has, how the, the, the Taliban's process has actually been underway for the past year and a half, beginning on the very day that Donald Trump's administration announced their so-called peace deal with the Taliban and their agreement to leave the country by May 1 of this year. So following that, quote, lightning offensive, as AP reports, the the Taliban, they say, have sought to portray themselves as more moderate than when they imposed a strict form of Islamic rule in the late 1990s. But many Afghans, justifiably, I should add, remain skeptical of that, and thousands have raced to the airport desperate to flee the country. Older generations remember the Taliban's previous rule when they largely confined women to their homes, banned television and music, and held public executions. A U.S.-led invasion drove them from power months after the 9-11 attacks, which al-Qaeda had orchestrated from Afghanistan while being sheltered by the Taliban, since it seems to have fallen through the memory hole as well. While some of the planning for 9-11 was done in Afghanistan under the protection of the Taliban, the conspirators were almost all entirely Saudi, you know, our allies in Saudi Arabia with all of that oil and with whom we did not go to war after 9-11, though we did pull U.S. troops out of the country 
as al-Qaeda had demanded at the time, before uh, then subsequently giving the Saudis billions of dollars in in military equipment and weapons, uh, that even uh, after its crown prince had ordered the dismantling with a bone saw of a Saudi journalist who works worked for the Washington Post. As long as we're diving down into the memory hole a bit today, let's not let that disappear either. Zabahullah Mujahid, the Taliban's longtime spokesman, emerged from the shadows Tuesday in his first ever public appearance to address these concerns shared by uh, older Afghans who remember the previous Taliban rule. He promised the Taliban would honor women's rights within the norms of Islamic law without elaborating. Seems within the norms of Islamic law may be doing some heavy lifting there <laughs> yes. in that sentence. Absolutely. The Taliban have encouraged women to return to work and have allowed girls to return to school, handing out Islamic headscarves at the school door. Well, that's always nice and not intimidating at all. A female anchorwoman interviewed a Taliban official on Monday in a TV studio, which, as CNN noted, would have been unthinkable in years past. So there is that, at least for now, at least in the capital city of Kabul, where all the international media are and are watching all of this. The treatment of women varies widely across the Muslim world, AP notes, and sometimes even within the same country, with rural areas tending to be far more conservative. Some Muslim countries, including neighboring Pakistan, have had female prime ministers, ultra-conservative Saudi Arabia, only just now, only recently allowed women to drive. I can't recall if that was before or after the bone-sawing of a journalist or not. AP does not mention. Mujahid also said the Taliban would not allow Afghanistan to be used as a base for attacking other countries, as it was in the years before 9-11. That assurance was part of a 2020 peace deal reached between the Taliban and the Trump administration, paving the way for the American withdrawal. Well, if it was part of a Trump deal, I suspect it should be rock solid for years to come. Why worry? Uh, Nonetheless, as the U.S. tries to uh, get both its own citizens and our Afghan allies, whose lives are now at severe risk, out of the country... The uh, newly, uh, newly moderate version, uh, new Taliban. What should we call them? They they need some rebranding, I think. Taliban light. There you go. Anyway, uh, that uh, news about uh, Taliban light is certainly helpful for the time being, at least for them. At least as it's being reported out of Kabul. The Pentagon said U.S. commanders are now communicating with the Taliban as they work to evacuate thousands through uh, the uh, airport there in Kabul. Pentagon says the Taliban uh, has taken no hostile actions there. Mujahid reiterated that the Taliban have offered a uh, have offered full amnesty to Afghans who worked for the U.S. and for the Western-backed government, saying, quote, nobody will go to their doors to ask why they helped. He said private media should, quote, remain independent, but that journalists, quote, should not work against national values. Remain independent, but not work against national values. Sounds like something the Trump Taliban would very much have appreciated in this country over the past (laughs) four or five years. Kabul, uh, which is the capital, has remained calm. 
over the past uh, 24, 48 hours as the Taliban patrol the streets there. But many are fearful after prisons and armories emptied out during the insurgents sweep across the country. Of course, it wasn't only the insurgents sweep across the country that emptied those prisons. Part of the Trump administration's deal, so-called peace agreement with the Taliban, which then Secretary of State, now newly slimmed down GOP presidential hopeful, Mike Pompeo, something that he was very proud of was the agreement to release some 5,000 Taliban members that were held as prisoners. Now, if you wondered uh, just where all of these Taliban folks all over Kabul and the countryside came from, well, 5,000 of them were gifts, uh, actually, from the Trump administration, just so that does not fall down the memory hole as well. Nonetheless, uh, according to AP, Kabul residents say groups of armed men have been going door to door seeking out individuals who worked with the ousted government. Uh, but it was unclear if the gunmen were Taliban or criminals posing as militants. Mujahid blamed the security breakdown on the former government, saying the Taliban only entered Kabul in order to restore law and order after the police melted away. Nonetheless, people are very scared right now, uh, very concerned about what may happen next, particularly after the U.S. is gone for good. Rupert Colville, a spokesperson for the U.N. Uh, High Commissioner for Human Rights, noted both the Taliban's vows and the fears of everyday Afghans, saying such promises will need to be honored. And for the time being, again, understandably, given past history, these declarations have been greeted with some skepticism, he said. Whatever their true intentions, AP accurately notes, the Taliban have an interest in projecting moderation right now to prevent the international community from isolating their government as it did in the 1990s. We will see if they do, if they stay so-called moderate, and for how long reports from outside of the capital city suggest much less moderation by Taliban forces around the country. So I would be very skeptical of reporting uh, out of Kabul right now, which is where the Taliban knows the majority of international media are reporting from. Yeah, they definitely want to keep the foreign aid money flowing. They do indeed. And uh, meanwhile, as we shared on the show yesterday, in his remarks at the White House on Monday, after the uh, chaotic scenes at the Kabul airport with uh, Afghans desperate to get onto U.S. military jets to get out of the country before Taliban control sets fully in, President Joe Biden defended his decision to end America's longest war blaming the rapid Taliban takeover on Afghanistan's Western-backed government and security forces while conceding failures on his own part and on the part of the U.S., noting that the buck stops with him as president, but decidedly not backing down from his decision to leave the country, from his decision to uh, honor the rest of the agreement that was originally struck by Donald Trump, uh, and, uh, frankly, left little choice but for uh, uh, Joe Biden to honor it, given that uh, Trump had pulled out so many of the troops. And his vow, uh, you know, not to pass this expensive in, in both blood and treasure and arguably pointless war onto yet a fifth president. That was Joe Biden on Monday. While the response from both Republicans, uh, who are now pretending that they were not applauding Donald Trump's decision to pull all of the U.S. troops 
out of Afghanistan by May 1 of this year. That would have been even more chaotic. But And they even, the uh, RNC removed a page from their own website celebrating Donald Trump's agreement to leave Afghanistan. They removed the page. Memory hole. Yep. So the response from both the Republicans and the D.C. media declaring this somehow the end of Joe Biden's presidency. All of this has been both, you know, wildly predictable and arguably, uh, as usual, totally wrong, I think. So does Josh Marshall over at uh, Talking Points Memo. He's been blogging in recent days in opposition to much of the D.C. media uh, that what we have seen over the past several days in Afghanistan actually vindicates Joe Biden's view that the speed with which the U.S.-backed Afghan government and military simply just melted away, turned over their guns and disappeared, that that actually proves that, you know, another month or another six months or a year or six years, none of it would have made any difference, would have made the situation somehow better, not after 20 years of really putting everything we had into Afghanistan, by the way, at the cost of the American people. Some uh, one or two trillion dollars, depending on the uh, the accounting. So, you know, continuing there, staying there would have made little difference other than making the U.S. poorer and risked still more American blood for no viable reason. So uh, Josh Marshall, he's been making this case that all of this is actually vindication of of Biden. He offered some more thoughts today on the predictable hand wringing response from the D.C. punditry class uh, in a short piece aptly headlined D.C. press bigs escalate to peak screech Mm. over Biden defiance. He writes, as I've made clear repeatedly. It's not like this is a big win for Biden, at least in the near term. American public opinion is never going to like seeing the people we spent 20 years and a trillion dollars fighting getting comfy in the presidential palace after the U.S.-backed president hopped the first plane out of Kabul. That stings, no matter what the backstory, but there's also little question that the very strong consensus among establishment D.C. press opinion makers is not in line with the mood or opinion of most of the country, of this country. He notes at least half a dozen Politico articles, and he cites other ones as well, over the last 36 hours have run with a snap morning consult poll showing that support for Biden's withdrawal plan has fallen from 69 percent back in May to 49 percent on Sunday. That's a whopping 20 point drop. And of course, all of the D.C. pundits are freaking out about it. But uh, Josh notes, this is hardly surprising. The concept of bringing everyone home is easier to support without pictures of the messy realities of the situation. The data point is listed in this morning's Politico newsletter as well. Quote, here's one bad sign for Joe Biden. Not mentioned, as far as I can tell, in any of these write-ups is this, he writes, even after a weekend of chaotic, Ugly images and 48 hours of relentlessly negative news coverage support and opposition to Biden's withdrawal plan, according to this poll, was 49 percent in favor and just 37 percent opposed. 
The fact that the plan still has a net 12-point approval, even at such a bleak moment, is surely a relevant part of this story. And yet none of these uh, hand-ringers and navel-gazers in the D.C. media bothered to mention that part. Yes, it's fallen 20 percent. Yes, we still could. The situation is very volatile and could change in either direction in the days and months ahead. But you think they would still note that, yeah, leaving is still far more popular than staying. He says uh, there's a pretty palpable reflex on the part of the D.C. op-ed insiders uh, at uh, Politico and the Washington Post and Punchbowl News and so forth to keep the storyline in check. And Biden is just not helping by actually standing by his position that though none of this is fun or easy to watch uh, and that while mistakes have been made in the pullout, the buck does buck does stop with him and he stands by it as uh, the right thing to do here, whether it is politically popular or not. And one more somewhat ironic take on all of this uh, in line with uh, Josh Marshall's uh, take today. Here's Nicole Wallace. Yes, that Nicole Wallace, the Nicole Wallace who once served as George W. Bush's President George W. Bush's communication director during the wars on Afghanistan and Iraq in the first place. Here she is opining on her own show on MSNBC yesterday. 95% of the American people will agree with everything he just said. 95% of the press covering this White House will disagree. And for an American president to finally be completely aligned with such an overwhelming majority of what the American people think about Afghanistan is probably a tremendous relief to the American people. <laughs> so no small uh, amount of irony there in, in Nicole's comment. Uh, she was among the most ardent defenders and still is of, of George W. Bush's actions after 9-11, including in Afghanistan and Iraq, and that she might like the public to ignore what the media says about a president, that that also comes in handy for her, I think. But on the larger point that both she and Josh Marshall are making, Look, the jury is still out. Much will depend on how gruesome things actually get or do not get in Afghanistan over the next few days and months and even years. But for now, I think both Nicole Wallace and Josh Marshall are are both right. I think that Americans are happy to finally be out of Afghanistan, even as many of us still worry very much about getting those folks out who are being targeted by the Taliban for helping the U.S. over the past 20 years. And frankly, what will come, particularly for the women and girls in the country who are being left behind as that long war, that long American mistake of a war, also begins to disappear into the memory hole. As usual, we will do our best to keep that from happening. All right, some more news straight ahead on the story that pretty much only the broadcast has been following at all over the past week on the stolen voting system software from a Colorado county, even as that same software is currently in use across much of California right now, today, in the middle of our ridiculous gubernatorial recall election. Uh, it looks like uh, slowly uh, but surely we are getting a bit of company in reporting on this story, including out of the Colorado Secretary of State's office. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the broadcast.
That story's next. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Colorado Rocky Mountain High I've seen it rain and fire in the sky Me too The shadow from the starlight is softening in a lullaby Sing it, John Rocky Mountain High Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Someone must be getting high in Colorado to have pulled <laughs> off uh, what the, uh, Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters seems to have done here. A Mesa County, Colorado Clerk Tina Peters and two others entered a secure area of the election division offices in the dark of night before a scheduled upgrade of the county's voting system back in May and made two copies of a main computer hard drive in violation of security protocols. That, according to the Colorado Secretary of State's office and an announcement they released on Monday night. Peters, the mysterious Gerald Wood, and a high-ranking election division staff worker whose name is not being revealed by the Daily Sentinel at this time, entered the secure area late at night on Sunday, May 23, when no one else in the office, uh, no one else was in the office, the Secretary of State's office said. This according to Charles Ashby in the Grand, Ju- uh, Grand Junction Daily Sentinel. Grand Junction is in Mesa County, Colorado. While there... In the middle of the night, the three allegedly made copies of the hard drive, including copies of election management software made by Dominion Voting Systems. That information later was displayed at a voter fraud symposium hosted by the My Pillow guy Mike Lindell in South Dakota last week in an attempt to prove that Dominion Voting Systems election equipment can be hacked or tampered with. Of course, it's well known that voting and tabulation system software can be hacked or tampered with without needing to steal it from a county elections office. Even when the elected county clerk of that office, as the Colorado Secretary of State is suggesting here in her press release, the county clerk actually participated in that theft. During that uh, My Pillow Guy event last week, which Peter's Tina Peters traveled to and spoke at. She told the audience that the hard drives or information from them were not from her office. She then added that they could have been removed, however, when the state investigators executed a search warrant of her office, which she called a raid. That so-called raid happened, by the way, according to the Secretary of State, In response to some leaked video from the office a few days ago that was taken secretly during an installation of uh, domain uh, of Dominion uh, uh, software on their systems and some graphic screenshots uh, of passwords 
for the machines, the voting machines, which proved that, in fact, they came from Mesa County, <laughs> Tina Peters' own office. But the hard drives, apparently, they were copied long before Mike Lindell's dumb cyber symposium, and they were in the hands of hackers, apparently, it seems, for several months before being released publicly last week, as we reported on this show, with confirmation about what was on those drives, while nobody else, it seems, in the entire national media has been uh, mentioning any of this. They've been reporting on those passwords, but not on these hard drives. And cybersecurity experts, voting systems experts, tells me that this is the hard drives are a much more serious breach. You know, the release of Dominion Election Management System or EMS software itself. Even the Colorado Secretary of State had not said anything about those hard drives until issuing this news release on Monday with uh, with some of these details that may Timeline, the Sentinel's Charles Ashby reports, also corresponds with an order either by Tina Peters, the clerk, or an elections manager to turn off surveillance cameras in the room. Those cameras are supposed to be working continuously whenever anyone is in the room, but those cameras were turned off and they were not turned back on again until early this month. We are in August, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, so since May, they've been off from the end of May, June, July, and finally turned back on in August. The Secretary of State's office says they know who was in that room, even though the cameras were turned off at the time of this breach based on computer logs of swipe cards mm. that were used to unlock the secure doors in that part of Tina Peters' office. Well done. Uh, you know, since Peters, the far right wing elected county clerk in Mesa, uh, who appeared at Lindell's South Dakota clown show, uh, said she knew nothing about any of this. And yet her cards were used to open the doors on May 23. And that guy known as uh, Grant. What is it? Grant Wood. Uh, he apparently also had such a card, even though he is not even an employee of the clerk's office. Really? Yes. And apparently he videotaped this Dominion software installation that took place uh, along with uh, employees of Dominion that was not supposed to be filmed, was supposed to be secure, and was not supposed to have some guy named Grant Wood, who doesn't even work for the office, in there apparently taking video of the whole thing. As a result, says the uh, grand jury, uh, grand, I keep saying, Grand Junction, Daily Sentinel. Should be grand jury, but I'm we'll get to that I'm just waiting for the grand jury, exactly. Uh, as a result, anything that was on that hard drive, uh, when it was accessed outside of the clerk's office that has been downloaded uh, thousands of times, you know, any access to that now is is suspect, and the machines themselves on which it was used is all now suspect. As we have been reporting and trying to raise alarms about, that same Dominion EMS software is right now being used across about 60% of the state of California in the Republicans' California gubernatorial recall election that is going on right now to try to remove the Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, from office. As we've also recently reported on this program, new findings by voting system and cybersecurity expert Alex Halderman of the University of Michigan 
in the federal lawsuit uh, in Georgia hoping to ban that state's use of Dominion touchscreen voting systems. His, his new analysis finds alarming new previously unknown vulnerabilities in those touchscreen systems made by Dominion. It's so alarming, in fact, that the federal judge on the case has sealed his report even from the plaintiffs in the case. The plaintiffs who hired Halderman as their own expert witness. They're not even allowed to see his report. He was allowed to examine the machines in Georgia, came out with this report, which is now marked attorneys only. So the attorneys can see it, but not the plaintiffs and not the defendants. So those same Dominion touchscreens, vulnerable as they are, are right now being used in the California recall in huge jurisdictions like San Diego County, San Francisco, Riverside County, along with the paper-based Dominion systems, which are used, as I said, in about 60% of the state, even though the software used on them has now been released to the world, which cybersecurity experts are telling me makes those systems far more vulnerable than they were before last week and this release. So this all seems kind of important to me. <laughs> yeah. It's why I have been uh, so troubled that other than me, media have not picked up on the release of these uh, of this software into the wild at all. These entire hard drives and neither the Colorado or California secretaries of state had said anything about any of this until finally Monday in this uh, news report from Colorado's uh, Democratic Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, which I'll get to in a moment. But sources tell the Daily Sentinel that this new information is expected to prompt the Secretary of State uh, Griswold in Colorado to order the full takeover of Mesa County's elections division. And the Secretary of State is expected to appoint someone from outside the office to oversee future elections there. I think Tina Peters, who is an elected official, is in a lot of trouble. And maybe that's why I keep saying grand jury. Griswold's office also says that they notified the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, otherwise known as CISA, about the new information because of fears uh, because of fears exposure of election management software could pose a risk to other election systems nationwide. Thank you. That agency, however, told Griswold's office that it wouldn't it wouldn't have uh, an exposure, a dangerous effect outside of Colorado. That, according to a press release released by Griswold's office, a press release, which I have some concerns about. I'll get to that in a moment, as promised. This latest revelation, says the Daily Sentinel. Also, is another reason why Griswold decertified all of the county's elections equipment last week. That happened because Peters ignored a legal order from Griswold to show whether the equipment was safe and secure from tampering, which apparently Peters was unable to do. So uh, now earlier on Monday, uh, the Sentinel also reports uh, a group of folks showed up to the Mesa County Board of Supervisors uh, to demand that Tina Peters is actually a hero for trying to uncover cracks in the state's election system by, I guess, secretly stealing it and releasing it to the Internet to further imperil the security of elections. Really? And many kept saying that the county and state should go to using paper ballots, which the Daily Sentinel points out. The state already does. 
these super <laughs> geniuses who are demanding this. About 95% of all ballots in Colorado are uh, on paper through mail-in voting. Just about 5% of voters use electronic voting systems. Monday's appearance by two dozen local residents, many of whom were part of an effort in June calling on the county to declare itself a constitutional sanctuary, whatever the hell that means. Uh, They questioned the results of the 2020 election, to which the Republican commissioner, Janet Rowland, seemed to be uh, quite upset. She noted there is an ongoing investigation by the Republican elected Republican district attorney, who she noted, I'm guessing most of you voted for. And she said that it also, when she hears questions like that, it also, what she hears is them saying that Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who is from the area, was not legally elected in Mesa County. Neither was Republican Janice Rich, Republican Matt Soper, both U.S. House members. Neither was Janet Rowland herself, who is a Boebert supporter, and uh, along with another Republican on the supervisor board. She said, none of us were legally elected. There was fraud, is what I hear you saying. I'm having a hard time understanding that, she said. Well, time to start understanding your own monster, Frankenstein. Um, so the Secretary of State, her press release uh, notes in its title, quote, DHS confirms posting does not heighten risk to state or nation's elections. Really? Are you sure about that, Jenna Griswold? The body of it notes that the uh, the director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency was alerted and that CISA has confirmed that it does not view this breach as a significant heightening of the election risk landscape at this point. One election official uh, in the state suggested that the phrase at this point is doing a lot of work in that claim from CISA or more accurately from the secretary of state. And I hope to have more on this in the coming days. But I did ask a number of the the nation, well, actually the world's top cybersecurity and voting system experts about this, if they agreed with the point that the Secretary of State's office uh, claims that CISA is making here. And these, frankly, are the best. These are the Avengers, if you will, of cybersecurity <laughs> and voting systems experts. Indeed they are. One of them is even named Stark, by the way. They are very skeptical about what CISA is saying, and and frankly, they're skeptical that CISA said it at all. I've now contacted the Colorado Secretary of State to try to get more on this, more details on who said what exactly at CISA. I have not yet heard back from the Secretary of State, but I hope to do so soon. This story will continue, I suspect, especially as I uh, seem to be virtually now the only one who thinks it's important for both California and the rest of the country right now, but I'm happy to see the Daily Sentinel, at least, in Grand Junction in Mesa County, jumping in at least a bit, along with the Colorado Secretary of State. All right, got to get out. I know. (laughs) Desi Doyen of the Green News Report is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. 
I know I'm late. I'm sorry, uh, especially since we have an update uh, after our latest Green News report. The earthquake could not have come at a worse time. Haiti is in the midst of a political crisis and is being threatened by a tropical storm, which could bring heavy rains and mudslides to the already crippled nation. Tropical depression grace compounds disaster as Haiti reels from powerful earthquake. July 2021 was the hottest month ever recorded on planet Earth. Plus, climate change science is telling us some really stark truths about the decline of water here in the western United States. Federal government declares water shortage on the Colorado River for the first time ever. All of those declarations and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. They passed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. To put that into perspective, if you took 1.2 trillion $1 bills and laid them end to end, they'd make better roads than what we're driving on right now, which is why we need the bill. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, as if things weren't horrific enough in Haiti... Now they're slammed by a tropical depression. Indeed. On Saturday, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit western Haiti, still not fully recovered from the devastating 2010 earthquake, also struggling with the pandemic, gang violence, and political chaos after its president was assassinated last month. Now a tropical storm is plunging the poorest nation in the western hemisphere even further into crisis. As we go to air, more than 1,400 people are confirmed dead, thousands more injured, tens of thousands rendered homeless and in immediate need of shelter, food, clean water, and medical care. The region is in desperate need of assistance, but compounding the devastation is Tropical Depression Grace. The storm's track is almost right over the epicenter of the earthquake and is forecast to dump as much as 15 inches of rain in some areas. This is a harrowing example of what emergency management experts call a compound disaster. Natural disasters hitting in quick succession pushing government response and infrastructure resilience to the breaking point. And that's something that you have warned about for years, having more than one disaster at a time. And Haiti has... Well, now at least more than one disaster. Meanwhile, July 2021 was Earth's hottest month ever recorded globally since record-keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to NOAA, breaking the previous record set just last year. July saw two flood disasters in China and Germany that each cost more than $25 billion in damages. The month also saw the hottest reliably recorded temperature for the planet, an astonishing 130 degrees Fahrenheit at Death Valley California. It is not a good sign that this new all-time hottest month record is occurring when there is no El Nino weather pattern in the Pacific to blame for goosing global temperatures. So everything could be worse this month had there been an El Nino this year. Exactly. Oh, brother. Japan is the latest country to see record-setting torrential rains. Parts of western Japan have set new, all-time highest rainfall records. Some areas deluged with three months' worth of rain in 24 hours. One prefecture saw more than three and a half feet of rain in three days. Those have generated extreme floods and landslides that have collapsed buildings and swept away homes. Here in the U.S., the Biden administration on Monday formed 
formally declared a water shortage on the Colorado River for the first time in U.S. history amid a decades-long mega drought that experts say is a sign of what is to come with man-made climate change. The river's main reservoirs have dropped to new historic lows. Lake Mead near Las Vegas is at 35 percent capacity, Lake Powell at 32 percent. Both are still falling, triggering the first-ever mandatory water cuts in the southwest. Starting next year, Arizona will lose almost 20 percent of its river allocation. Wow. Nevada will lose about 7 percent. In an interview with KUNM, John Fleck, director of the Water Resources Program at the University of New Mexico, warns that further cuts are likely and communities should begin preparing now for even worse. They won't. Coping with less water is a permanent phenomenon. We cannot expect wet times to return. So this is a problem for drinking water, for farming, and how about for power? There are concerns about that as well, from the hydroelectric plants at Lake Mead and the Hoover Dam. Which is at an all-time low. Yes. In Northern California, new evacuations have been ordered as the relentless Dixie Fire shows no signs of slowing down more than a month after it ignited near a Pacific gas and electric power station. Fire experts warn that it now appears that giant infernos that burn for months on end are the new norm for California. Finally, a bit of good news. The Biden administration is moving to restore even more of the Trump administration's dismantling of efficiency standards for appliances, which, by the way, most manufacturers did not support and did not request. For light bulbs, dishwashers, clothes washers, and shower heads, which save consumers both money and water, particularly crucial amid the Western drought. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you, Desi Doyen. A quick update on that death toll out of Haiti. It was 1,400 as of our Green News Report. Now we're at... uh, More than 1,900 now. More than 1,900. Anyway, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, We uh, hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Service made possible by those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. And my thanks to uh, a number of you who have signed up for monthly subscriptions over the past few days. Greatly appreciated. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Our thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne. Did I already mention that? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see you on the Twitters and Facebook until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 